You're listening to The Industrial Movement, where we discuss the people, the processes, and the equipment that drives American manufacturing. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Industrial Movement podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and the show notes can be found at our website at www.theindustrialmovement.com. Come back often and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow the show on Twitter at The Industrial Movement or on our Facebook page. All links to our social media can be found in the show notes and also at the bottom of our website. Now, let's get on to the show. Hi, folks. Welcome to The Industrial Movement. This is Morty Hodge, and with me, as always, is my trusty sidekick, Greg Smith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we are honored to speak with Johnny Smith Jr. of Pack IQ. Johnny, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to meet both of you. Fantastic. So, Johnny, if you don't mind, start off by telling us a little bit about Pack IQ and then transition into your story. Pack IQ is we design and build reusable steel racking, primarily for the automotive industry, but also heavy truck, defense heavy equipment, those type of things. We provide a solution to transport material from Tier 2 suppliers to Tier 1 suppliers. You know, everybody knows that there's an an engine in their car, but they don't really realize, well, how does it get from one plant to another? So we build and develop solutions to do that. Fantastic. How long has PAC-IQ been around? PAC-IQ, in its initial form, started around the year 2000. A lot of the early days they were in more of pallets and shipping containers, plastic containers, and kind of migrated over the years, saw an opportunity to get into the more durable metal racking and made that transition probably open this facility about nine years ago. And your facility is in the Anderson, South Carolina facility, correct? That is correct. And I see that you guys have facilities in Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio, Venezuela, Canada. Is that right? A lot of those are satellite or sister companies. But yes, we do support operations over most of North and South America and some in Europe as well. Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get involved in manufacturing? It's kind of a long story, you know, way back when. In high school, I wanted to be an auto mechanic. Well, this is early 80s. You could work on a car then. Shortly after that, you needed a PhD to be able to work on a car. So I kind of changed career paths and got into manufacturing, which led me into welding and sheet metal fabrication. Got into it, really fell in love with it. and stayed in it a number of years. Made a transition out for a short period of time and then got back into manufacturing. And pretty much for the last 35 years, that's where I've been. A lot of several different places, a lot of different kinds of product. But the biggest portion of it has been in some kind of metal fabrication. You know, it's always been my belief that manufacturing is what makes a country great and makes a country strong. That's where my lifeblood's been. I love building things and love to see people build things and take pride in building those things. When you look at manufacturing in the U.S. right now, how do you feel about the state of that? It is kind of concerning. 
You know, one of the things that greatly concerns me is that we seem to not be driving in our country trade schools, learning how to be electricians, learning how to be welders, learning how to be carpenters. We've kind of taken it to where manufacturing is a, you know, that's a second class type of career, you know, and people kind of look at it like, well, you know, you work with your hands. Yeah, I work with my hands. I'm proud of it. You know, because that car you drive or that house you live in was built by people that are that enjoy manufacturing. So I'm hoping that, you know, at some point in time, we'll make a transition and start bringing back more and more manufacturing into the U.S. I think COVID inadvertently has shown where we have a lot of shortfalls in our manufacturing in, in this country. We are far too dependent on outside sources to provide the products that we use daily. And we've got to get back to where we're more self-sufficient, for lack of a better word. You know, we can't rely on someone on the other side of the world because, you know, things can happen that, that cut us off from that. You were bringing up people's perception of manufacturing as a whole. Manufacturing over the years has changed. Back in the, you know, 1920s, early 1900s, you were looking at dirty factories, a lot of grease, a lot of dust, a lot of unsafe environments. Tell us a little bit about the modern day manufacturing plant. What type of environment is it? (laughs) A lot of it's cleaner than your house. You know, people want to live in a clean environment. They don't want to go to a dirty, dark facility. In the last six months, I just had all new lighting put in our facility because our lighting was getting kind of, you know, some age on it, wasn't sufficient. So we upfitted and replaced all the the lights inside our facility with high bay LEDs. Just that changes people's perception. You know, when you start cleaning things up and you start organizing things and, you know, I had a president of a company one time told me, the first thing that a customer looks at when he walks in the door is the floor. And if the floor is dirty, that's his first opinion of your company. This company is dirty. If they don't take pride in their facility, how are they going to take pride in the product they're producing for me? So, you know, at any given moment in a day, messes happen. But we try to keep things clean and keep things organized. And we want to create a good environment for my employees to work in. Absolutely. What are some of the biggest challenges that your industry is facing today? There really are two huge factors right now. One is available labor. I talk to a lot of people and everybody's struggling with the same thing. We all need more people. We're having a hard time finding good qualified or competent labor to help support our operations. And the other thing is material availability. It's it's getting where parts that I once could get tomorrow is take or are taking me a week now to, to get. And I've got some items that they've went gone from two week lead times to six and eight week lead times. So, you know, a lot of that again is tied back to the current health situation in our country. A lot of it is the logistic situation in our country. So You know, there are a lot of things coming ahead, but our current labor pool in this region, I know, because we've had such substantial growth in the recent years, the labor pool is very small. 
and every company is jockeying for the same person. Looking down the road 10 years from now, do you think it'll be the same challenges or do you foresee any future challenges down the line? I actually think some of the challenges may still be the same. I think labor is going to be kind of this, it's kind of one of these cycles. You have a good labor pool for a few years and then you don't have a labor pool for a few years. So it it kind of goes back and forth. Material availability and those constraints are pretty much the same, but I do see that getting worse over time because there just there are more companies that come into the market and using up more more raw materials. So it's going to start stretching those lead times out more and more as, as time goes by. We like to think we live in a world with unlimited resources, but the reality is we have very limited resources overall that can be utilized at any given time. So just trying to manage those things and and making sure we're communicating with customers that, okay, this is what our our supply chain is able to do to support us and our ability to support you. What advice would you give someone that's wanting to get into the manufacturing industry? You know, a lot of it is do your homework. If you're trying to break into manufacturing, you know, you've got to look at what are the available resources that are that you're going to need. What's the labor pool going to be like? And, you know, I, I've talked with a lot of, <laughs> I didn't go straight out of high school into college. You know, I went to work and supported a family, raised a family. And then later in life was I had the opportunity to go back to college to finish my college education, which has helped me move up in the organization. Now with that, it's given me a greater appreciation of what it takes to build things, you know, because I have done what my people on the floor do now. I've done that. And so I understand that everything doesn't always go perfectly. You know, you always over promise and under deliver these days, but we try to under promise and over deliver is what we want to do. I try to explain to people, study people, learn from people, watch people, learn their mannerisms, learn how they interact, what their triggers are, and get you a good team to work with you. Because I I do not try to know everything, but I want to try to know the people that I can ask when there are things I don't know. As a manufacturing leader, what do you think are some of the best resources or books or other things you've utilized along the way that you think would be good to pass along to other manufacturing leaders? You know, there was a book that I was turned on to several years back on, and it's actually called The Goal, which is an outstanding book, gets into the theory of constraints, and it teaches managers to kind of look outside the box to see where things are going on. So the name of it is the goal, a process of ongoing improvement. And it is a very useful, you know, I ask people when you try to get into things, where's the leader in a group? And people always say, well, they're at the front of the line. And I say, I tend to disagree. The leader is neither at the front nor the back, but somewhere in the middle, because one, they're trying to keep people from running away but they're also trying to keep people pulled along. And so often now I see a lot of young managers, they want to take off in the front and take off running and they leave their teams behind. 
And then they wonder why they weren't necessarily effective. And it's not that you weren't so effective. You just left your team behind so you couldn't get it done. You know, automotive industry, if you've ever dealt much with them, it's, it's all about what did you do? What have you done? And what most of it, I had a really good plant manager one time in when I was in automotive. And he said, we want to be able to tell our story, tell our story well, but tell the story of what we did, what we accomplished as a group and as a team. And that, I think, is one thing that young managers especially need to learn. They need all the support they can get from the people that have done these things and try to learn from that. What was the biggest obstacle that you faced, and how did you overcome it? The biggest obstacle I've ever faced, I guess, or well, let me put it like this, the hardest obstacle I've ever, ever faced in my career was back in 2002. I was filling the role as general manager and technical inside manager for a fabricator in Charlotte, North Carolina. And unfortunately, I found out in about August that the company was going to file bankruptcy. And then it went on and it turned into going from a bankruptcy to actually was going to turn into a shutdown situation. And that is probably for any manager is the hardest thing to try to do is you go into work every day because I was not at liberty to share that information at that time. But you try to put on a a good face and your game face and you're communicating with people knowing that in a a couple short months that you're going to completely turn their worlds upside down because what they think, how they provide for their families is going to be gone. And it was a very eye-opening experience for me and a very hard experience for me because I was a lot younger at that time. And, you know, I made a promise to myself then that that would never happen again if there was anything that I could do about it. You know, so now I I teach my supervisors and people I work with, we're always going to be good stewards of our business. We're going to take care of our business. And in doing so, we're taking care of each other. Tell us a little bit about the processes and what a typical day-to-day looks like at your facility. In essence, we're a contract manufacturer for structural fabricated metal. So we have a what we call a material conversion department, which takes raw material and processes into some other usable form, whether it's a plasma cut piece of sheet metal and it's formed or a, a 20-foot length of tube that is cut down to make cut-to-length pieces. So we kick off in the morning, my material conversion department. Then we have full welding departments. We have a full assembly. We do powder coat uh, and then final assembly and then ship the product. So I'll come in in the morning. First thing, you know, first thing you have to do is go through all the emails to see what went wrong during the night. You know, what did the gremlins do while you were asleep? And then kick off and see, get with my supervisor and say, okay, is everyone here? Where are we at? And make a round through the plant. Then at 8.30 in the morning, I call. Everybody comes to my office, all my functional supervisors and my maintenance guy. And we sit down. We do a 15 to 20-minute meeting. We go over objectives of the day. We go over what kind of constraints do we have to meeting those objectives, what kind of additional support may an area need. 
Are there any material issues? Are there any maintenance issues? We hash those down as quickly as possible, and then we go back to it. Then throughout the course of the day, I'll make probably six to eight laps around the plant and checking to see how we're doing and is everything going well? Is there anything I can do? And, you know, I can help you as much as I can help you, but I don't want to hinder you. And then we'll go from there. And then towards the end of the day, we'll make a final lap around. We'll see what got finished up, what we've got completed. Did we meet our targets for the day? And everyone in the plan at 4.30 will head home. I'll typically be here another 15 minutes to an hour finishing up, you know, the emails that you have to do at the end of the day, reporting out information to the people I answer to, answering questions from sales or customers, and then finally able to shut it down for the night and be ready to start back first thing the next morning. I was just curious. A customer comes to you, they say, all right, I got to ship, you know, 10,000 of these widgets. It's the, here's the size and dimensions. And then you go to her and you make the creating, you know, whatever is necessary on your end. And then you ship, and then you ship those to the customer or do they send you the product and you package it? How does that work? We don't do any internal packaging at this facility. Our facility is the only manufacturing facility PackIQ has. So sales will get with our engineering because the customers made an inquiry. We'll do a concept drawing of a packaging rack. They'll submit that to the customer. We'll go through a whole design process. We use SolidWorks here. They'll send us all the math data. We'll make sure the rack has both the, the size that they want and have the potential part density that they want. Then typically it's kicked off. We'll build a prototype rack. When we do a prototype rack, the customer will typically send us a quantity of parts. We'll test fit those in the rack. More often than not, we'll leave most of them in the rack and ship the rack to them because they want to see how the parts ride in transit. They'll inspect the rack once they get it in their facility. There's a whole design review to see if everything worked right, if everything fits right. It may come back and go through some additional redesign and go back through our prototype department for some adjustments. This may go on for two or three weeks. It's back and forth before they'll finally kick off a, if it's automotive or truck and bus, they'll do a pre-production run. So we may build a, a small quantity of racks. We'll ship them to our customers. They'll test them. They'll transport back and forth between tier twos and tier ones to make sure wherever they'll review them on their shop floor with their operators that are actually using them. And then if everything goes well, they'll kick off a fleet. A fleet of racks could be anywhere from 50 racks to 2,500 racks. It just depends on what the size of the part is a lot of times. Johnny, tell us about the equipment that you guys use at your facility. We use a lot of stuff that a lot of small job shops would use. We have a we have a five by ten high def plasma. We also have a a ten foot eighty ton press brake. We do a little bit of end milling here. We have an end mill bridge port which we primarily use for hole layout in tubes. 
we have a, one robotic welder, which is a large footprint and a large dual-sided rotary table robotic welder. I have about 14 welding machines currently on the production side. We have a Hydmac auto saw, so we have a capability to cut production tubing here. And then, you know, we go through the weld process. We have a powder coat boots, which is about a 12 by 20 by 12 foot high, and then a powder coat oven, which is approximately the same size. And then we have a general assembly area, which uses small hand tools. We use a lot of DeWalt hand tools because they're very versatile for doing light assembly work. What is the biggest challenge to keep production running when you have issues with your equipment? One of the biggest issues I've had here of recent, unfortunately, is my maintenance personnel left the organization about three months ago. So we've it's been kind of a struggle to keep things going. Luckily, just hired a maintenance guy today, so I'm I'm very it, it's a good day. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Good, well-rounded maintenance guys are hard to find. You've got a lot of specialized maintenance guys out there now, but having a good, well-rounded one is a rarity, apparently. Other than that, you know, the every day brings a new challenge. We were building a rack today, and the dunnage didn't fit correctly. So it's okay. What do we need to do? To, what kind of modification do we need to make to make everything work? So, you know, I, I look at every day has a new and exciting challenge, a new exciting opportunity for a solution, and we just have to figure out that solution sometime. Yeah, you had mentioned earlier that you guys put in some LED lighting. Do you guys have any other energy initiatives or things that you're working on right now? We are working on. You know, one of the things I'm trying to do. I've been waiting on it is to get my maintenance guy restaffed. We're going to do a complete layout change for the plant. We had started in 2021 and got sidetracked there again because of COVID. So I couldn't bring outside contractors in. We're going to do an actual complete relayout to try to improve the efficiency of our product lines. We currently run two weld lines that are run in one direction in our plant, we're actually going to turn those in a 90 degree direction orientation to what they currently are and shorten them to try to increase the efficiency of those lines. So we're constantly looking for ways to improve the efficiency that we, of what we currently have. It's a challenge like everything else. You know, a lot of people just want to come to work, do their job and go home. So to get people thinking about, ways to improve our operation, improve our process is difficult sometimes to get the additional support because, you know, everybody comes from somewhere and everybody's seen something that worked really good here at one place or another. And what I need people to do is bring those ideas forward and let's see if we can incorporate those to increase our efficiency, increase our productivity. And help us be a stronger organization overall. Very good. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining us today. If some of our listeners want to connect with you online, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? Send me a message through LinkedIn or they can email me direct, johnny.g.smith.jr at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Johnny. We appreciate you joining us today. We enjoyed learning about Back IQ, 
and your journey. It's been my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed listening to some of your podcasts. You know, I think personally, manufacturing is where it's at. Amen. We agree 100%. Hi, folks. This is Morty. I just wanted to put a special announcement at the end of this episode. We're so grateful to Johnny Smith Jr. joining us from PacIQ. He's a plant manager that has many years of experience in this industry. And it's great to listen to everyone's golden nuggets of information, solutions, issues that they deal with, because we're all in this together. And so a lot of other manufacturing leaders have reached out to me and asked how they could be a guest on the show. And it's real simple. Send me an email at Morty, M-O-R-T-Y, at theindustrialmovement.com. Mostly who we've been speaking to are plant managers, operations managers. We've had a few maintenance managers on. We'd love to make that even broader. Human resources, purchasing safety, any aspect of manufacturing, we'd like to delve in and learn more about it. We think that we'd love to have all types of leaders on the show to help us get a broader view of how manufacturing operates in the United States. If you're interested, email me at morty at theindustrialmovement.com. Once I receive your email, we can begin a dialogue and start to discuss what are some things that you can share with the show and some value you can bring to our listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Well, folks, that's it for this week's episode. Be sure to visit our website, www.theindustrialmovement.com, to view today's show notes and get more golden nuggets of value that we have collected from manufacturing and industrial professionals in our archived episodes. On our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter and find links to join the Industrial Movement community on Facebook. The Industrial Movement podcast is where we discuss the people, the process, and the equipment that drives American manufacturing. I'm your host, Morty Hodge, wishing you great success.